The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. After a bit of a break this summer, I'm delighted to be back on the air as a result of very generous sponsorship support. I'm extremely grateful to some business associates of Omega Global who are supporting our show, Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Omega Global uses amized fusion technology to return the body to homeostasis. When the body cells are in balance, real healing can take place. And you will have the opportunity to learn all about Omega Global and their revolutionary self-care intentions when Sam Adams, their premier leader who brought Omega to the Americas, will be a guest on the show on September the 15th. And if you look at the new banner on Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation on the website, you will see three links that you can connect to Omega Global and find out all about it. And I'm absolutely delighted today to begin the new series of shows with a wonderful guest who has done much through the years to further the spiritual cause through humor, the cosmic comic Swami Beyond Ananda, otherwise known as Steve Behrman. Swami Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be on and great to be part of your first show of the new season. Well, I'm delighted to have you with us, and I'd love to begin by finding out how you started by bringing humor into the world of spirituality? Well, you know, uh, back in, oh, maybe around 1979, uh, this name flew into my head, uh, Swami Beyond Ananda, and I tell people that I got struck by enlightening during a brainstorm. And uh, <laughs> this, you know, the name made me chuckle because at the time I'd, you know, done some meditation and I knew that all the Swamis had Ananda after their name, and Beyond Ananda just struck me as very funny. And prior to that, uh, I guess I had a serious career um, uh, teaching at the uh, elementary, high school, and college level. I'd been an author of serious books and so on, and a, uh, and a ghostwriter and so on. And uh, this really launched me into an entirely different field of endeavor that, uh, you know, even though I was the class comedian when I was a kid in school, I never imagined that I would uh, that people would actually be paying me to be funny. And you have these masterful. Well, I think I think I've seen a quote of "master of enlightening wordplay." So, where do these wordplays come from? Uh, from words. They come from words. All of them. Uh, you know, 
I hear funny. I, I see and hear uh, funny. And so I can look at multiple meanings, and I will, I will notice something that other people won't. And I, and I particularly love names. You know, I, like the woman who can't stay in a relationship because of her name. Her name is Frida Knight. Some guy asks, are you Frida Knight? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I see and hear funny that way. And I love wordplay. You know, a lot of people really kind of scrunch up and make up groany noises and funny faces at, at puns. And I think it's because sometimes it's just word wordplay without any context. And I like to think that the... Uh, that in coining new words and phrases, uh, as the Swami has, that there is a lot of context and that it helps actually people um, understand uh, understand concepts better. It collapses ideas and it creates catchy ways to spread uh, new ideas. Well, I have some some great little chuckles just just reading your material and, and listening to you speak, and hopefully the Swami will join in at some place uh, during the conversation. Oh, yeah, he's hovering right above us, and through the magic of radio, uh, I can change into my Swami costume instantly, and the Swami uh, can appear. We better warn our listeners to pay careful attention to some of the word plays that are going to come through during the course of the show. Okay, yes, we have a, yes, definitely a warning. A, 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 uh, that would be an order, to listen carefully and so on, but not too carefully, because Part of, the, part of the way that humor works and why it's so delightful, it's kind of like peekaboo. You know, a little baby playing peekaboo, now you see it, now you don't. It's a dance between the visible and the invisible. Where do things go when they disappear? And in a certain sense, a joke is a lot like peekaboo because the punchline is present throughout the entire joke, even though it's invisible and inaudible and doesn't make its appearance till the very last second. But in order for that joke to exist, the punchline had to be there because that's where we're going. Fantastic. (laughs) One of the most important pieces of work that you've done most recently is your connection with uh, Bruce Lipton and the book which you co-authored together, Spontaneous Evolution. So tell us a bit about the connection with Bruce and how that unfolded. Well, you know, first of all, in in addition to having done the Swami for the last 25 years, my my entire career throughout my life, since I was actually since a kid, I've always been interested in political science, which I know to some people sounds like an oxymoron, but I've always been interested in politics, and I've expanded my interest to include psychology and economics and spirituality and so on. And I met Bruce about five and a half or six years ago, and we just... We became friends, and we just began a conversation. And for those people who are familiar with Bruce's work, and I know you've had him on your show, <clears throat> pardon me, um, Bruce's first book and his uh, really uh, uh, amazing piece of work, uh, breakthrough book called Biology of Belief, is, is about how our beliefs and perceptions uh, impact our biology and our reality. And so in our conversation, Bruce and I began to explore how is it that our collective beliefs and perceptions that are largely invisible to us, that we often mistake for reality, how is it that those beliefs and perceptions uh, have impacted our civilization and our world? Uh, How does it relate to the current uh, upheaval, or as Swami would say, downheaval, because that's... uh, 
that's one of the evils that's going on. Uh, how does it relate to what's going on today, and how does it project into our future? What can we what can we learn from evil uh, from from evolution to uh, that will point us in the direction of what's next for humanity? And uh, the very very short boil down of our story is that the next phase of human evolution, as predicted by the patterns of evolution, is that we recognize that we are each and all cells in a new body called humanity. Uh, that ju- just as we are cells in an, uh, just as we are organisms of upwards of 50 trillion cellular citizens, this next phase of evolution will be recognizing our connection, our being part of one healthy organism where healthy cells uh, cooperate rather than try to destroy one another. So before we go on to that, let's just go back. I think you called them some of the misperceptions with a bit of a list that we have, that the old beliefs that we don't even necessarily know that we have. Just Can you outline, outline those for us? Yes. Uh, yeah, the first uh, part of the book we kind of jokingly call, what if everything you know is wrong? And so much of the uh, scientific materialist dogma, that is the, uh, the uh, ideology of the modern world, has been inconveniently disproved by science. So, for example, uh, the four that we offer as misperceptions, M-Y-T-H, uh, number one, only matter matters. Number two, survival of the fittest. Number three, uh, uh, our, our uh, genes determine our destiny. And number four, evolution is a random process. And science has now disproved every one of those. So the idea that, uh, you know, it's still a dogma of scientific materialism that the only thing that's real is the material world, only matter matters. And yet, for over 100 years, thanks to quantum physics, we've known that at the subatomic level, Matter is nothing more than rapidly vibrating energy. And as Albert Einstein said, the field is the sole governing uh, uh, factor over the particle. So we are imagining that this material world is all that exists, that in the uh, uh, Newtonian uh, notion of uh, equal and opposite forces, that the universe is a machine, and quantum physics now understands that, you, that the universe is a lot more like a thought than a machine. So we've debunked one um, of the myth perceptions. The second one, survival of the fittest, is really based on an ideology of domination and a misinterpretation of evolution. And in fact, it even misinterprets the law of the jungle because the law of the jungle doesn't even apply in the jungle. For example... When a lion is chasing a pack of gazelles, does the lion go after the fastest gazelle so he can have a trophy to mount on his den wall? No, the lion goes after the one that's the slowest and the weakest. So the law of the jungle is really the non-survival of the non-fittest, which means that 99.9% of gazelles get to live another day. What this indicates in terms of our human civilization is that there's no need to compete with these other 99% of people. It's not about competition. As evolution has come to, as science has come to understand evolution, there is a recognition that systems, that ecosystems evolve as a community. 
And so those organisms that best serve that community, that best fit in, are those that survive. So the real law of nature is thrival of the fittingest. The third misperception has to do with the belief that our genes are our destiny. You know, back when Bruce was teaching at University of Wisconsin Medical School in the 1980s, he realized that contrary to what we learn in our textbooks, the brain of the cell is not the nucleus, it's the cell membrane. You can take the, cell, the nucleus out of a cell and the cell will continue to live. However, when it needs to reproduce, then it has a problem because the nucleus is the gonads of the cell. The cell membrane is what, um, is what determines and helps us discriminate between what's inside and outside the cell and determines our destiny. Steve, we're coming up to our first break and we'll continue with this fantastic discussion after this break. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Visit PeterTongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTongue.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. It's pretty scary, but I don't let it rattle me. It's pretty me. scary around here, but I don't let it rattle me. You always have to watch your back. There's no one to watch my back. I spend my whole day worried who's out to get me. I'm always me. wondering who's out to get me. But I can take care of myself. But I can take care of myself. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. It's not like I have a choice. It's not like I have a choice. This will all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. This will all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. 
Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I just want to direct your attention to the website www.myheartcenteredjourney.com where I'm currently doing a series of classes uh, on the Ambassador of Light program. Every other Thursday, uh, there's a webinar series available, meditations, and weekly reflections for you to continue on your awakening journey. So please do visit myheartcenteredjourney.com and see what is available to you there. I have with me today Swami Beyondananda, or otherwise known as Steve Behrman. And Steve, just before the break, you were going through the four myth perceptions of um, the old way of being. So and you were talking about the third one, which is that our genes control our system. So just recap that for us as we went into the break. Uh, as, as we're learning right now, uh, um, while we would like to believe that um, we have this and this condition because it was inherited, uh, a very, very small percentage, less than 1%, uh, less than 2%, rather, of all illnesses are hereditary and base. So that means essentially that uh, our environment and our perceptions, which are part of our environment, uh, have uh, an impact on our health. There was a very, very interesting study done. You know, we've heard about how... Uh, how um, People in the same families uh, tend to get the same diseases, that diseases run in families, and that this is obviously proof of a hereditary basis of these conditions. But what they also found is that children who are adopted into families tend to have the same patterns of disease. So there, there is something in the field, quite possibly the field of beliefs, that uh, has an impact that is equal or greater than the, uh, the hereditary impact. The, the fourth myth perception is that evolution is a random process. I, I just did a presentation a few days ago here at the local junior college, and while I was waiting uh, for the auditorium, there was a very earnest uh, teacher who was teaching evolution, and everybody was taking notes, and she said that, you know, evolution is totally random. Life is totally random. There's no purpose to it. It just happened. And, you know, actually, when we look at the patterns of evolution, we recognize, first of all, that evolution appears to be the conscious learning experience of life, life learning about itself. And in every phase of evolution, two things are happening. Number one, there is an increase in community and there's an increase in awareness so that 
when uh, the first organisms on the planet were single-cell organisms. At a certain point, the density of population made it necessary for another field to impose itself. And what happened at that point is that the single-cell organisms uh, were going to be, were, were, they were not, um, they were competing uh, for scarce food, and they began to combine into multi-cell organisms that made them much more efficient. And as I said earlier, you and I are um, communities of upwards of 50 trillion cellular citizens. And um, we now recognize that this process of evolution is an awareness that is moving forward. We are now conscious. The single-cell organisms, as far as we know, were not conscious. They couldn't reflect on themselves. But now we have enough cells and a sophisticated enough system that we can here, be here talking about ourselves rather than simply just living. We can be the observer and not just the uh, participant. Uh, the other aspect of of evolution that, that I mentioned earlier is that we are now recognizing that in this next level of order, because human population density is becoming so great, we are going to have to restructure ourselves into, into um, let's say, an organism called humanity where each cell has what it needs to thrive, and yet the work that it does, what it has to offer, the energy that it spends, is to the benefit of the entire organism. I'm just uh, really fascinated by, by these myth perceptions because we look back at um, Sir Isaac Newton and, and Darwin as two of the, the, the men who um, pioneered this work, and I know that Newton, who, who created this very concrete material look at science, was actually a practicing alchemist. And so he, he worked with the invisible realms in his private work um, and yet the world has had this 400-year period of being very materialistic. And I know that he and Darwin similarly um, had uh, another side to his life in terms of evolution. Do you have any uh, inside information on that? Well, I think that, you know, we're, in any culture, in any society, you can only be so far ahead of the curve uh, if you want to be understood. And, it's, you know, you have the, the persistent beliefs. Yeah, it's interesting in regards to Darwin. Social Darwinism, what we call social Darwinism, developed by Herbert Spencer, actually preceded Darwin's theory. So we already had a theory in place that basically uh, it said, you know, really it's me or you in this world, and um, those of us who are most fit, and of course, how do we define that? Uh, do we define that as having the biggest army? Do we define that as having the most muscle? Do we define that as um, having the most money or the greatest monopoly on information? Uh, you know, so those were the beliefs that those who were dominating society believed in. You know, in a similar way, um, some, and we also talk about this in the book in our chapter called Rediscovering America. In a similar way, uh, the founding fathers of America adopted many of the um, structures and institutions and ideas of the Iroquois nation, including the uh, balance of powers, including the separation of powers and, and the confederacy. 
But the one piece that they could not adapt or would not adapt because of the uh, cultural contradictions was one of the key pieces of the Iroquois nation was the Council of Grandmothers. That is, the elder women in the tribe were the ones who made the final decision whether the tribe went to war. They could impeach a chief if they felt that he was unscrupulous or incompetent and install a new one. But uh, the founding fathers of America just could not quite imagine Dolly Madison and Martha Washington and Abigail Adams sitting in council and telling the boys what to do. So we are now at a point where, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, people are talking about this as uh, apocalyptic times. And the original meaning of the word apocalypse, it meant the lifting of the veils. And so the veils are being lifted not just on some of the toxic secrets uh, uh, that the ruling elite has kept, but it's also lifting the veils on the many spiritual practices uh, that have allowed us individually to engage with the, with the divine. Uh, and these practices have been kept under wraps uh, partially because... Uh, uh, those in power wanted it that way, but partially because it was believed that the ordinary human being didn't have the uh, spiritual or psychological maturity to, uh, to use these tools. And now we are in such a process of rapid evolution that we are also lifting the veils on these practices so that we have so many more tools in our toolkit to use and develop our human resources. It's absolutely fascinating that both the good guys and the bad guys, if, if there are any, both wanted to keep the veil over the spiritual connection for different reasons, one for power and control, and one because the belief was that people weren't ready, mature enough to handle the uh, opportunities that were available to them. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So let, let's just go back to the, to the, to the book, and, and there is, there's some really, really important information that I want you to talk about, uh, Steve, about the caterpillar and the butterfly because so many people in the world today are feeling desperate and that things are all going wrong and, and really can't see any hope for the future, and yet you express beautifully in the book what's really going on. So, so just explain that to people. Thank you. You know, the best metaphors are the metaphors that are beyond metaphors. And, you know, part of what we talk about in the book is... Uh, fractal mathematics, and the repeating of patterns throughout nature. And so if we recognize a pattern in one aspect of nature, then perhaps it applies in, in another. And so as we look at what's going on right now, it's very useful to see that we are in a transition that's very similar from the caterpillar uh, uh, to the ca caterpillar uh, becoming a butterfly. When the, you know, a caterpillar is a very successful organism. It crawls along the ground. It consumes food. It's really good at that. And then at some point, the caterpillar begins to fall apart. It begins to deconstruct. And one would imagine it, uh, being a cell inside the caterpillar, that's got to look and feel very chaotic as everything is coming down around them. Well, in this process of metamorphosis, there are these new cells called imaginal cells. And these are the first cells of this new butterfly organism. And as, they begin, as more of them begin to appear, they begin to connect with one another, they begin to communicate, they begin to form a community, and at some point there is a threshold and the organism becomes 
the butterfly. Now, what's so interesting about this is that the caterpillar and the butterfly have the exact same DNA. They're the same organism. The only difference is in the signal that they are receiving. So let's look at human endeavor and see how it applies. Right now we have, all of, we have a civilization that's built on those misperceptions that we talked about just a little while ago, that we, you know, we have off information. Uh, Steve, we're just coming up to our next break, so let's uh, return to then. the transfer of the caterpillar and butterfly to the human being today. So hold on, the caterpillar is still in transition. This is uh, Peter Tong for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. 
Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And I just want to mention again my deep gratitude to Omega Global Business Associates who are sponsoring the show for the next 13 weeks. And please do take a look at the banner on the website and feel free to go to the links and find out more about Omega Global and the paradigm shift that they're bringing through in self-care. I have with me today Swami Beyondananda, and, and Swami, just before the break, as you said, we left the caterpillar hanging. So let's return to the discussion about the caterpillar, the butterfly, and how that applies to humanity at this time. Okay. Well, uh, Swami is hanging out. He's very patient. Uh, he's, uh, but he'll he'll be speaking later. Uh, we left the butter. We left the caterpillar hanging, and. Um, it's interesting. The ca- uh, we're talking about human civilization right now. We see that the institutions and society that are based on the misperceptions are falling apart because they're they're not founded in anything real. And it's very scary as we watch every institution doing pretty much the exact opposite of what it was designed to do. We see a medical system that unfortunately is making people sick. We see an educational system which unfortunately is making people stupid. We see a banking system that is extracting money. Or as the joke goes, remember the old days when people robbed banks? Uh, you know, instead of what we have now. And, and so what we are recognizing is that all of this is falling apart. But while things are falling apart, there is something that is falling together. There is the human equivalent of the butterfly being born. In his study of the decline uh, and fall of civilizations and the rise and fall of civilizations, uh, the British historian Arnold Toynbee talked. Uh, he, he identified a group that he called a creative minorities. And when a civilization is in the process of decline, there are these individuals who can recognize what the next phase and the next stage is, and they are the vanguard of that. Um, about 10 or 11 years ago, a book came out called the Cultural Creatives by Paul Ray and Sherry Anderson. And Paul Ray is a, uh, a sociologist. He's a market researcher. And he found that at that time, about 25% of Americans were what he called cultural creatives. That is, they recognized they were beginning to see this new organism called humanity. They were recognizing the connection that we all have. And some of these people were more focused on spirituality, some on holistic health, some on personal growth, some on the environment, some on peace and other forms of uh, political activism. But what they all were seeing was this relatedness that we're all part of the same organism. When I talked to Paul Ray last year, he said that now this group that had been 50 million Americans is now 70 million. Now, it's more than a third of adult Americans are beginning to pick up this new signal for this new butterfly organism called humanity. And it's, it's not necessarily on the radar because just as we'd spoken about uh, the dominant cultural beliefs at the time of Newton, at the time of Darwin, at the time of America's founders, did not permit these new ideas to really take hold because... These ideas, first of all, are threatening to the current power structure. And second of all, people generally have not had the uh, education. I'm not talking about the formal education. I'm talking more about the, um, the education in awareness 
to be able to encompass this much more holistic and integrated worldview. Right now, thanks to the Internet, thanks to very rapid communication and very rapid learning, we are becoming this butterfly organism. But in the midst of things falling apart, uh, and we'll talk more about this uh, you know, when we get to the practical aspects of how do we live this, we want to make a choice. Actually, can I start that now? Because I'm, I'm going right into that. So I'll just, yes, I just want to make one comment. So the creative minorities then are like the imaginal cells in the caterpillar. That's right. To, to make the and transformation. they're growing into a majority. Right. So please, yeah, yes, go into the practical aspects because that's really, really important. How you go from the sort of woo-woo out there uh, ideal to actually really well-grounded, practical, living, living it. Well, you know, Bruce and I, in our book, we came up with a three-step program because, frankly, there's no time for 12 steps. We've we got to appreciate it. And the three steps are, I, we call them evolutionary awareness, evolutionary intention, and evolutionary practice. So evolutionary awareness is the awareness of two things. First of all, the awareness that we have been living by obsolete, outdated, and disproved principles. So there's no surprise that things aren't working. But the second uh, awareness is maybe even more important than that, and that's the awareness that so much of what we believe to be reality is really our perceptions. And as human beings, we're much greater and much bigger than who we think we are. And I'll, you know, in the book, we give a number of examples. I'll just toss them out here. How is it, and we read about these things from time to time, how is it that a, a woman who weighs 110 pounds can lift a three or four thousand pound car when her child is trapped underneath. How is that possible? How is it possible when those people who do weight training, you know, if they lift 800 pounds, they're doing really, really, really well? How is that possible? How is the placebo effect possible where when people, uh, at one third of the time, when people believe they're getting medicine, they think is going to make them well, and they're actually getting a sugar pill, they get well anyway. How is that possible? So part of awareness is beginning to recognize that our powers and abilities as humans are beyond what we thought they were. The second is evolutionary intention. That is, every day we get to make a choice whether we're living in the old story or the new one. Are we trying to fix the caterpillar? Are we imagining? Are we living in this caterpillar organism, trying to make it work when it can't? Or are we finding ways to become and feed and weave together this new butterfly organism? And number three, evolutionary practice. Something that we do every day on a regular basis that brings this new story into reality. Now, for some people, it may mean choosing a new career. For other people, it may mean choosing a different lifestyle. For others, it might mean meditating. For others, it might mean starting a new green business. What's, what's happening uh, is that the caterpillar economy is falling apart as well. And so many uh, of the quote-unquote jobs don't exist anymore. What is needed right now, and I'm very happy to be part of helping to put something like that together as we build uh, what we're jokingly calling a Department of Heartland Security under the 
domain heartland community. What we're building is a way for people to begin to weave their own heart's desire, their own mission, their own skills and gifts and love into a larger matrix um, of an economy and an ecology that is actually healing rather than hurting. And so this is the Department of Heartland Security, security as opposed to Homeland Security. Yes. Yeah, we, as the Swami would say, uh, well, you know, we have a lot of fear out there, and that is what the Homeland Security is about. But Heartland Security reminds us that our true security is in the land of the heart, because in the head we have beliefs that separate us. And what people believe is unbelievable. So it's all this static. So we have to leave the static of our heads for the ecstatic of our hearts. Because the more we expand our hearts, the less we're going to need to shrink our heads. <laughs> so we, we're in the process of building this. If people want to find out more, they can go to notesfromthetrailblog.com, which is my, uh, my blog, or wakeuplaughing.com and there's information on how you can participate. But we are looking at this as a network of healing networks uh, that weave themselves into a holistic movement where we recognize that health, well-being, economy, ecology, personal growth, satisfaction, uh, individual and societal love and connection are all part of the same conversation. And that's really the breakthrough because uh, I think we were talking earlier in between, uh, while the commercial was on, we were talking about how there's so many organizations out there that are well-meaning, that are, have fabulous and worthy missions, but there's not this unified uh, field that really uh, is reflective of the power that we have, not just in numbers, but in awareness and in evolutionary momentum. So this Heartland uh, community that you're talking about then at the moment, is, is it a, uh, an online community or is it an actual... Well, it's, it's both. We like, we like to say that we need to make the changes on the Internet and the outer net. We're calling it a global local community because we would like to see the best practices and creative ideas that are developed in one place adopted and adapted in other places and then have the, uh, a very rapid feedback loop so that people can begin to know what's working, what's working, what's working, how can we use it here, how can we modify it here. Uh, locally, there's a, there's a very vital uh, transition town movement that's happening in a number of different places. There's the slow money and the slow food movement. And well, Steve, we've actually come up to our final oh. break, so I need to cut you off there, but we'll come back to oh, okay. specifics uh, after the break. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. 
years ago, Peter Tom left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then, time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because, after a stroke, every minute you don't get help... is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. I'm delighted to have with me today the master of enlightening wordplay, Swami Beyondananda, otherwise known as Steve Behrman. Steve, before the break, you were chatting about the practicalities of uh, Heartland community, so please continue with that. Yes, I think that as we look to how we can adapt uh, the ideas of spontaneous evolution and turn it from the ideal to the real deal, uh, it's very important that we look at, uh, first of all, every day the question is, Am I living in the caterpillar or the butterfly? Am I feeding the old story or am I feeding the new one? There's a, there's a very well-known uh, story about the Native American grandfather who's talking to his grandson. He says, I have two wolves inside of me that are fighting. One is the wolf of love and peace. The other is the wolf of anger and war. And the grandson says, well, which one of these wolves is going to win? And the grandfather says, whichever one I feed. So our intention is very, very important. The intention is the vector that points evolution in a particular direction. Uh, And then, of course, the practice. What is it practically every day that we do 
that installs this new butterfly, this new evolutionary um, world in our life and consciousness because we're looking, we're really talking about fields of belief. And the more we infuse this new field of belief in a world where we're all in this together, where everything is related, where healthy cells are cooperating rather than stuck in the autoimmune dysfunction called warfare that we have right now, that's really what's going to make the change. It's the consciousness that comes first and then living from that consciousness. Very, very profound and important stuff. I, I really, really appreciate your comments. Now, I know, Steve, um, there's a couple of really uh, important topics that you, that you have views on, and I'd love to, to hear your views actually on the oil spill because I know that's caused a great deal of concern within the people in the world. And I think I've seen you quoted as saying it's either an awakening or awake. Well, yeah, I think the Swami has a comment on that. Hold on. He's coming down off the ceiling, and he'll, he'll be in a minute. Well, oh, yes. I want to tell you something. First of all, we have had many, many crises in the past couple of years. We had the economic meltdown where the, the economy was totally, um, let's say, devoured by gold-collar criminals. And, you know, gold-collar criminals have figured out how to use their energy, that which the Chinese call qi, to gain unfair advantage. This is called cheating. Hmm? So we had this great pillage, and yet people slept through that alarm. Yes? Well, then we had this big oil spill. And all of a sudden, I think people are awakening to the fact that instead of looking above us for a leader, we have to recognize that we are the leaders we have been waiting for. So maybe it takes a pillage and a spillage to wake the village to stop the drillage. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. And I also know, obviously, that one of your pet loves is, is politics. So just give us a, a word on, on your insights in the political situation in the world right now. Well, you know, people say, how can you laugh at politics? And I say, it's simple. There's definitely something funny going on. Hmm? And what we have, well, you know, two years ago, we thought that we had created political climate change by electing a president, Barack Hussein Obama. And I think it's great to have a president with that name because now the whole world can go, you know, America finally has a President Hussein. But we realize that now that the hopium has worn off a little bit, yes, that we recognize that we have to create a new precedent that is government of the people, by the people, for the people, where the government does our bidding, not the bidding of the highest bidder. And what it means is that left and right have to come front and center to face the music and dance together. Because what we have right now, we have the red tribe Republicans, the blue tribe Democrats, spending all of their energy arguing about whether it's worse to kill the born or the unborn. Meanwhile, plenty of born are dying, and the bill is being sent to the not yet born. I mean, look at the diseases we have in our political system. We have irony deficiency. We have truth decay. We have mad cowboy disease. We are still suffering from the lingering effects of mad cowboy disease. And we have deficit in attention disorder because the U.S. dollar is now worth slightly less than a dollar in monopoly money. But I believe in looking on the bright side. 
we have a $1.9 trillion national debt. When the dollar hits zero, we can pay it off and not even, not even feel it. <laughs> Swami, thank you so, so very much. We're coming up to the end of the, of the show, Steve, so I'd love to uh, get you just to remind us of your, your website and your blog uh, site so that people can tune into your wonderful work. Okay, uh, the website is wakeuplaughing.com, wakeuplaughing.com. I have an e-book called Wake Up Laughing, an insider's guide to the cosmic comedy to clue you in on how to create more wholehearted, uh, whole brain laughter in your life. Uh, there's also the Spontaneous Evolution book, which just now has gone into paperback, so you can get that for less. And then I have a blog called notesfromthetrailblog.com, and this is uh, a place where I'm beginning to gather the Heartland community. There are a lot of people and resources out there that are doing phenomenal and valuable work, and we're going to be weaving those into dom domains of heart, which has to do with... Uh, spiritual connection, love, health, and personal growth, land, which has to do with ecological economy, sustainable abundance, and security, which really has to do with evolutionary politics and building community. So if you're interested and curious, uh, go on there. You can be part of our uh, RSS uh, feed, and uh, we'll let you know every time an update takes place. Steve Swamy, thank you so much. It's been an absolutely de delightful uh, hour spent with you. I really appreciate your insights, your humor, your humor, and your awareness. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. I really appreciate it. And the Swami says, may the fires be with you. Namaste and namasko. <laughs> thank you so much. So next week I have with me Janice Parvainen, who will be talking to us about courage to love yourself. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. This is Peter Tung. For awakening to conscious co-creation, wishing you a wonderful week. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.